Our scripture that was previously read came from Luke's Gospel, the seventh chapter, and 11 through the 17th verses. But I just want to lift up verse 13, which says, When the Lord saw her, his heart went out to her, and he said, Don't cry. This scripture is the first recorded miracle of Jesus raising a dead person. The story has a very unassuming tone to it in that you could easily get the sense that Jesus just happened to be approaching this town called Nain, and a funeral procession just happened to be coming out of the town gate, so Jesus just happened to raise the dead. Well, nothing could be more further from the truth because no matter where we find ourselves or in whatever circumstances or dilemma you and I may face, we serve a Jesus that just happens to be in the resurrection and saving business. So for this morning's worship service, I want to talk to you all about hope. Not the kind of hope that we find in merely wanting our financial situations or our various life circumstances to change, but the kind of hope that comes when glory meets suffering. The kind of hope that comes when humanity is overcome by majesty. The kind of hope that comes when mercy assumes its rightful place. The kind of hope that comes when the hurt and the healer collide. And so the title for this morning's message in the context of this wonderful story of hope is quite simply our compassionate Savior. Let us pray. Eternal God, our Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, there are so many of us in this world right now, Lord, who are living in what they may consider to be dead situations. Lord, they have been wrapped, washed, sealed, closed, and on their way to a burial in many of their lives. Hopes, dreams, aspirations appear to be dead. With crowds and onlookers looking. But we thank God that you are the compassionate Savior. That you, Lord, you are on your way. And Father, when you are on your way, may you bring the hope that we all need today. So we thank you, Father, now. Now, Lord, release your preacher. That I may speak your word, your way and your children will be made whole. This we pray in Jesus' holy name. Amen. Jesus is our model for life and ministry. If you want to know what God is like, look to Jesus. If you want to know how to connect with the Father, look to Jesus. If you want to know how to live a godly life, or even how to minister effectively, look to Jesus. Look to Jesus and live because he is our model for life and for ministry. If you've read the accounts of Jesus' life as recorded in the Gospels, you'll quickly come to the conclusion that Jesus is a quite unusual fellow. One of the things that I try to do when I read the stories about Jesus is I try to pretend that if I were in Jesus' place, what would I have done or how would I have responded? 
One of the great examples of the story, of course, is when Jesus healed the soldier's ears after Peter cut it off in the garden of Gethsemane. Here it is. These guys have come to arrest you for no reason, yet you chose to show compassion to your adversary. I dare say, if I were in Jesus' place, there would definitely be a one-eared soldier in the Roman army. But I am not Jesus. And as I look at how Jesus responds to the various episodes in the Bible, they not only reveal his divine attributes, but they also reveal his heart and the true nature of his character as well. Our text today looks at a particular episode in Jesus' ministry, which we pick up at Luke, the seventh chapter and the eleventh verse, which reads, Soon afterwards, Jesus went to a town called Nain, and his disciples and a large crowd went along with him. The fact that the text said soon afterwards lets us know that this large crowd, which was following behind Jesus, had witnessed what preceded this encounter. If you know your Bibles, you will know that immediately before this happened, Jesus had healed the servant of a centurion soldier. The fact of the matter is, the centurion soldier said, Jesus, you don't even need to come to my house. Just say the word and my servant will be made whole. And all the crowd and all the people who saw that time when Jesus said, nowhere in all of Israel, have I seen such great faith? And at that very moment, the servant of the centurion was made whole. The people, the crowd, the same people had seen this. And the reason why this is important is because the, the crowd and the disciples may have had some doubts that when Jesus performed this social distance miracle, it might have been a mere coincidence that the servant was healed. And so... As he approached the town gate, a dead person was being carried out, the only son of his mother, and the text tells us she was a widow. And a large crowd was with her. Beloved, what we have here is a real setup for a divine collision. On the one hand, we have a large crowd following Jesus after he had just performed an amazing miracle with the centurion's servant. And on the other hand, we have another large crowd following the dead as part of a funeral procession. A widowed mother with no hope, no future, no provisions, no respect, grieving her only son on a divine collision course with the only begotten Son of God bringing hope, a future, provisions, and respect. On the one hand, life approaches the town gate, while on the other hand, death was leaving out the town gate. A large crowd following Jesus on the one hand and a large crowd following the dead on the other, yet both destined to have a divine collision. This divine collision is always the place that we come to in our lives when our fears meet our professed faith. It is a place where everything that we know or have worked for in our lives appear to have been for nothing and we get stuck in the what I call the what's coming next. You know the place. It's the place where you have to decide whether to stay or to leave 
the marriage. It's the place where you have to decide to quit your job because you can't take it anymore. It's a place where you either keep enabling an addict or give tough love. It's a place where you have to decide either to withdraw care or keep your loved one on the ventilator. It's the place where faith meets fear, where you have to believe and trust God and where you have to literally let go and let God. It's a place where you have come to the end of yourself and you are stuck in the what's coming next. Now at this place where Jesus meets the widow, there are a few things I want you to know about what's going on. Number one, the New American Standard Version of the Bible calls it a coffin, but it's really a briar. And what's a briar? It's a type of stretcher because Jewish custom did not use a closed coffin like we do. So the body of the woman's son was exposed in the procession. Secondly, the young man had not been dead long because they had already washed, anointed, and wrapped the body in order that there would be no stench as they were hurrying to bury him. And finally, number three, it is customary for a bereaved mother to walk in front of the briar, which explains why Jesus would meet her first. So all this lets us know that, that in this divine collision, a woman's only begotten son was dead. He was anointed and wrapped in swaddling clothes, and he had an unlooking crowd as he was being taken to a tomb. Do you get the picture? So Jesus did not just happen to be approaching this town called Nain. And a funeral procession did not just happen to be coming out of the town gate. And Jesus did not just happen to raise the dead. The only thing that just happened is that Jesus just happens to be in the resurrection and healing and saving business. Now the text tells us. That when Jesus saw the woman at this place, you know the place, his heart went out to her. Which means Jesus had great compassion on her. The word compassion alludes to kindness and sympathy. And if you, if you understand it that way, you miss the real meat and the root of what was really going on with Jesus. The text says his heart went out to her. And the idea of compassion actually goes much deeper than alluding to kindness and sympathy. There is something more powerful in its meaning. In Latin... Compati or compati, however you pronounce it, means suffer with. It is a sense that someone else's heartbreak becomes your heartbreak. Another person's suffering becomes your suffering. And when true compassion occurs, it will always change your life and the way that you live. I've often shared this story that I did not believe I was called to be a pastor because I felt in my heart that I was not compassionate enough. And I've told this story many times. When I, when I first got my, my orders as a deacon, I went around and tried to visit with the sick. And I, I met a man dying of lung cancer. And I would visit with him often. And as his condition worsened, the frequency of my visits increased. And one day I was getting ready to read the scriptures in the church I was formerly affiliated with. And just as I was mounting the pulpit, 
Someone touched me and said, hey, Reverend Marriott, he died this morning. And I couldn't even see the words on the page. As well as I would like to read scripture and like you all to believe that I'm articulate, I couldn't see the pictures. Why? Because I had a problem reconciling what I was feeling in my heart. And then when I was done, I saw his wife at the end of the sanctuary. I've told the story before. I ran off the pulpit, robe and all, fell to her knees and wept like a child. And in that moment, I heard the voice of the Lord say to me, don't ever tell anyone again that you lack compassion. And my life changed from that moment. So what I'm telling you, my brothers and sisters, when Jesus got to this place, he, his heart went out to her. He had compassion on her. He identified with her suffering. And so, my brothers and my sisters, it was a picture of the father heart of God. As Dietrich Bonhoeffer rightly said, he said, we must learn to regard people less in light of what they do or omit to do and more in light of what they suffer. Jesus identified with the widow's suffering, but then he does something that was even more thought-provoking and bizarre. He says to her, don't cry. What do you mean, don't cry? Why not? How can I not cry when I'm grieving such a tremendous loss? This is just like Jesus saying, do not be afraid. But how can we actually not be afraid when we are facing fearful situations in our lives? If I'm really afraid, how can I not be afraid? Likewise, if I am crying because I'm mourning a loss, how do I not cry? What on earth is Jesus talking about. But as I thought about Jesus' words, I wondered if it's possible that there is something else to this story that I just might be missing. And so I thought about it some more. And what I came up with is something pretty simple. Beloved, if you are mourning the loss over the death of a loved one, and I came to you as a pastor, and I said, don't cry. You, you would look at me in a very strange way. And if you did not look at me funny, you would probably still keep on crying despite what I might say. Yet the words don't cry makes a big difference when Jesus says it. And the reason why is because of Jesus's authority. Listen to what I'm telling you. You see, my words may have some impact, but Jesus's words changes lives. When Jesus said, don't cry, his word and authority meant that I am about to restore your hope and your future. I am about to restore your dreams. I am about to restore your provisions and your respect. I am about to breathe new life into your hopeless situation. I am about to exercise my resurrection authority. And yes, I am about to raise your dead son. You see, when Jesus says don't cry, it's because he is the son of God. He is the bright and the morning star. He is the lamb of God who takes away all the sin and the cares of this world. He is the bread of heaven who feeds us till we want no more. He is the alpha and the omega. He is the king of kings and the lord of lords. He is the lion of the tribe of Judah. He is the living word and he is Emmanuel, God with us. 
and at his word every knee shall bow every tongue shall confess that he is Lord and you and me and the widow of Nain he has come that we may have life and have it more abundantly you give him glory right now where you are in your room wherever you find yourself because at his word life new life comes no matter if it's coronavirus no matter if it's insurrection at his word lives are changed and he is Jesus he is Jesus and he's on his way to the town gate but then after all this compassion Jesus does the unthinkable watch the text in verse 14 then he went up and touched the bear. They were carrying him on, and the bearers stood still. He said, young man, I say to you, get up. The dead man sat up and began to talk, and Jesus gave him back to his mother. Jesus is hilarious. We can assume that the widowed woman does not know Jesus. But, but, but because of his large crowd following, he must be someone of importance. We, we can also assume that the woman had been someone of importance herself because she too had attracted a large crowd. So Jesus tells the widowed woman, do not be afraid, and then goes and touch the bear. If, if, if she did not know Jesus, then this act would have probably diminished all of Jesus' credibility. Why? You see, Jesus did three major things wrong according to Jewish culture. Number one, Jesus interrupted a funeral procession. Interrupted it. The second thing that Jesus did, he, he touched the briar, which according to Jewish law causes one day of uncleanness for everyone who touches it. And, and, and the third thing that Jesus did is because it was a briar and the body was exposed, we can assume, of course, that Jesus touched the dead body. And, and which again, according to Jewish law, causes one week of uncleanness. The touching of the briar is a deliberate act of Jesus, ignoring the ritual uncleanness of the dead body as he was demonstrating that he was literally above Jewish laws and customs. But the important thing to note here is not just that Jesus was overturning Jewish customs and laws when he raised the dead man and gave him back to his mother. That's not the important thing. The very important thing to note here that I want you all to see is that the widow, not her son, was the beneficiary of the miracle. The widow, not her son was the beneficiary of the miracle. Because the text is clear, Jesus had compassion not on the dead man, but on his mother. It's, it's not the dead son that was blessed. It was the living widow that was blessed. The son was given back to his mother. We started the story talking about a widow that lost her only begotten son and who was now receiving hope and a future. She was a woman that was at the highest possible moment of despair and hopelessness. As a motherless widow, she had no hope, 
no inheritance, no provision, and no future. But despite not having any of these things, which by every earthly standard is cause for tremendous grief in all her pain and loss, she had something that she did nothing to earn or even deserve. She had a divine collision with Jesus. You see, at this divine collision, she met our compassionate Savior, who looked well beyond her faults and saw her need. For at this divine collision, glory met suffering. At this divine collision, humanity was overcome by majesty. At this divine collision, mercy had assumed its rightful place for this same Jesus who was the only begotten of God the Father. This same Jesus who would have crowds of onlookers when he came to the end of himself. This same Jesus who would die and be led to his very own tomb. This same Jesus would rise again on the third day with resurrection power. And this same Jesus would bring his compassionate hope to all of us who suffer today. I don't know what your suffering is, but I'd like to tell you that at your town gate, this same Jesus is on his way. You and I are destined for our own divine collision. And at this divine collision, the hurt and the healer will collide. Our compassionate Savior will give you his grace. This is what Jesus, our compassionate Savior, did for the widow and what he will do for you. Jesus will have compassion on you for we do not serve a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses. But we have one who has been tempted in every way just as we are. Jesus will have compassion on you, which means that whatever you're going through, he has been there and is still there. For even now, the word tells us he'll never leave you nor forsake you. Jesus will have compassion on you because he knows all about our troubles and he will guide us till the day is done. So, so, so when you are sick in your body or when the doctor gives you a bad report, hang on to the hope that says, by his stripes, I am healed. When you think that you're not perfect enough or not good enough to have a real relationship, hang on to the hope that says, I am fearfully and wonderfully made. But the question, the question I have for you as I bring this message to a close is simply this. Who or what has died for you? What is the hope or promise that you once had that has now died for you? Well, I've come to tell you by the authority Jesus has given to me through his shed blood on Calvary's tree. Do not be afraid. Why? Jesus is coming by this way. 
and he will meet you at the town gate of your despair and your suffering, whatever that might be. For the truth is, hear me church, even in the darkness of your despair, light dawns for the upright and for those who are gracious, compassionate, and righteous. At the town gate of despair, Jesus wants to restore your hope, your dreams, your aspirations. And after Jesus raised the widow's son, this is what the text says, they were all filled with awe and praised God. A great prophet has appeared among us, they said. God has come to help his people. And this news about Jesus spread throughout Judea and the surrounding country. And my brothers and my sisters, that news is still being spread even to you today. May the Lord richly, richly bless you, my beloved.